Hello and welcome to Messages and Methods. I'm your host, Shelly Carney. Tonight we'll be talking about Encore Entrepreneurs and making the big shift into the Encore Entrepreneur Lifestyle. Woo-hoo. Lifestyle. So it's a lifestyle now, it huh? Is. I think I actually kind of like that, it being yeah. a lifestyle. Because that means I have a new lifestyle. New? Yeah. I moved away from You've been the, an entrepreneur since 1979. Oh, I don't know how it's new for you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a bit. I'm an encore entrepreneur. Yes. So I have a... There's, because, but you, how many encores is this for? I don't know. <laughs> Quit counting. All right. Hey, it's Shelly and Toby, and we're here to talk about encore and entrepreneurs. fun. Come and join Come us. Come and join us. If you are in your 50s or older, we've got something in common. Do you want to produce a live stream, podcast, and blog to expand your brand and business? Or would you like to come visit with us, tell us your story, and share your message with the world? Come experience Messages and Methods live stream podcast with Shelly Carney and Toby Eunice. Every week, we come together to discuss topics related to encore entrepreneurs, content marketing, live streaming video, and podcasting. We share stories, experience, and knowledge to help others in their journey to making the world a better place. Subscribe today and become a part of our treasured community. Okay, well, let's just talk. Tonight, we're going to talk about our entrepreneurial journey. And it is a journey because if you've never been an entrepreneur and then you decide to become one, there's a lot of challenges to overcome. So let's get into that. Here's my first question for Toby. How did you change from being an employee to an entrepreneur? Hmm. I'm going to give you the short version. So um, I left college to join the military. So I was in the military and effectively an employee, although a, a you know, in the military sure. for five years. I got a regular Because you got to listen to somebody else tell you what to do. Exactly. And, and worse, you volunteered for getting, being told what to do, mm-hmm. right? Sure. It's not like you, uh, well, I guess when you. You signed uh, up for yeah, it. Yeah, you signed up for it. It's like any employee. Then, when you get a job, you sign up for listening to your boss. And because I had worked for the Army Security Agency and I'd had top secret crypto clearance, uh, as soon as my, well, actually before my service time was ended, I was invited to join the National Security Agency. In um, and outside of Washington, in Maryland, Fort George G. Meade, Maryland, and so I became not only an employee of an institution, this one a government agency, uh, a bureaucracy, uh, but it, it had the safety uh, and predictability of being a government entity, right? It's very predictable. You know what your wages are. You know what your next year's wages are going to be. You know what your potential for going up the ladder is. Uh, you know how many, how much sick leave you get, how much vacation time, etc. It was very, very yeah. predictable, right. and that was a good time because I had, I was raising a young family, mm-hmm. and I wanted that kind of predictability. Mm-hmm. I was with them for five years, and uh, I, you guys may have heard this story before. What happened was, uh, I was trying to finish off my degree. Uh, I studied journalism at UNM, but I was working towards a degree in photography and and photojournalism, and I was finishing that up at. Uh, the Corcoran School of Art. It's now the Corcoran School of Art and Design at George Washington University. And um, so I used to, we used to 
go out with the fam and I would take pictures and I'd put them up on my cubicle wall. And one day, one of the um, director level people from upstairs came down and they said, are you a photographer? I said, um, I will be soon. I mean, I'll have a degree in it. And they said, uh, you want to take some pictures for the agency? And I thought, well, they probably want me to shoot some um, portraits of some exec or something like that. And the gentleman said, go down and get you, go downstairs and get your orders. Told me the room number. I think to myself, why do I need orders to shoot? Well, it was orders <laughs> for... Um, why do you need orders to shoot a camera? Yeah, <laughs> shoot a camera, right. So um, it was actually orders for Nairobi, Kenya, and the uh, they called it mission. I don't like referring to it. The project was for me to track the building of the Russian embassy in Nairobi photographically. So I did that for three months. I went home, tried to explain to my wife what's happening. I was losing my job, et cetera. I was still working for the agency, but they had asked me to do this. Uh, they called it uh, TDY, temporary duty. And, uh, and I agreed. And uh, so I was there for three months, came back and uh, turned over my work. Actually, the work was going out weekly in the um, diplomatic pouch from the U.S. Embassy. And, um, and I thought that was it. Went back to my desk uh, as an intelligence analyst, went back to work with uh, the group of people, told stories about my excursion, if you will, to Nairobi. Uh, but that wasn't a national security agency. That that wasn't what you did for the NSA. Most of what you did for the NSA was because it was intercept, uh, was desk work, right? They don't. They although they do now. They didn't then have active field agents. They left other agencies for that. Anyway, so I forgot all about that. Then about three months later, um, uh, the same gentleman came down and they said we've had a request from one of the other agencies in our community, and that community is the intelligence community. And they would like to use you for one of their projects. And I said, what about my work here? And they said, they like your work. We liked the idea that they liked your work. We would like to send you TDY for three months over to their project. And I can't tell you about anything about that project, unfortunately. Well, fortunately. Um, and so I did. I went off and uh, did as good a job as I was capable of doing. And I came back. They liked the work. And um, about three months after that, that same gentleman came down and we had a long conversation about my career and where it was going. And he thought there was great this great opportunity for me to serve all the agencies because I had a clearance, all the agencies in our community in the same way that I had served uh, this one, the NSA and the one that I was asked. And uh, he said, uh, I'm going to suggest you become an independent contractor. And at that time, I, I never even had any thought about ever becoming an independent contractor. Never thought about starting my own business. Five years with the military, five years with the NSA, everything's going good, kind of had my career planned, et cetera. And, um, he, and then he said, and we'll help. And I didn't know what that meant exactly. So about <laughs> we'll kick you out the door. Yeah, yeah, and we'll help by throwing you out and you're on your own. So about three days later, I went to a conference. I was invited to go to a conference room, and there were five or six other people in the conference room, and they all represented different parts of different agencies, including the Small Business Administration. And my agency wanted this to happen so much that uh, they brought in the Small Business Administration to train me in running a small business. Uh, they brought in George Washington University to give me my degree as quickly as possible. They brought in uh, uh, contracting 
officers from three different agencies to explain to me how the whole process worked and go through that training. Anyway, they did everything they could, and they were going to give me six months to get all of that done, going through the SBA, uh, Small Business Administration training, finishing up my degree at a at a rapid pace, and then going through these uh, contracting schools that were being held. And they were willing to pay me through that whole time. And so I had six months of intensive training on how to become not necessarily a, an, a, a small business owner. I learned how to become an independent contractor to agencies inside the intelligence community in the federal government. So that by the time I got there within, after I said goodbye, there was a point at which I left the NSA. Uh, and when you leave the NSA, there's no gold watch. There's no benefits check that they walk away. I think I got a, a couple thousand bucks worth of unused leave time. And the next day I was an independent contractor. And within, I'm going to say a week, I had my first contract competitive. My first, I won my first competitive contract. And uh, it was a sole source contract. It was, I, I'm sorry, it wasn't a sole source contract. I wanted it to be a sole co source contract, but I had to compete for it. And I had some benefits. I got points because I was a veteran. I got points because I was a disabled veteran. I got points because I was um, uh, Hispanic. And I was going to say I got points for being male, but I don't think they did that back then. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I got the contract. And uh, it required travel. And by that time, my wife had gotten used to the idea that this was going to involve travel. But in that point, uh, I, I was on my own. And that was 1979. Um, it was probably 1980 by the time it got started. And I did that from 1980 to 2010. So 30 years. Okay. Well, here's what I took from that story that I think can be of help to other people is get some training and some help, some mentoring, and that is available to you uh, from the Small Business Administration, but also from an, uh, a volunteer agency called SCORE. Uh, SCORE stands senior, for... Senior something of retired executives. Senior, not collaboration, senior... Council, CORE, something. Senior... Senior. I'll think of it later. So senior something of retired executives. Yes. And basically it's an organization. Council it's a nonprofit, nonprofit organization that provide uh, free information mm -hmm. and training. And, uh, and they, they have online trainings all the time. They have a library full of uh, training videos available to anybody who wants it. Uh, just go to SCORE on, you know, Google it. And oh, it is CORE. It's Senior CORE, C-O-R-P-S, Senior CORE of Retired so of Executives. So it's capital S-C-O-R-E. Right. Um, look it up. Go there. They've got all kinds of free training. They have mentors who volunteer to work with people who are transitioning to owning their own business. doesn't matter if you're uh, 20 years old or 80 years old. They will help you. Uh, to do that transitioning. And the Small Business Administration is the same. Uh, they will, they have courses, some of the courses you have to pay for, but they're taught uh, in a college, with a college level rigor. Uh, and they teach you the fundamental things of being able to operate a business. That's where I learned. You have to hire 
an attorney, an accountant, and an insurance agent. I mean, literally, I remember having that class where they told you the people that you want to engage as soon as possible uh, to ensure that you didn't screw up your business. And to this day, when people say, what would you do if I was going to, I would say, hire an attorney, uh, uh, a, an accountant, and an insurance agent, um, because that protects you, your business. And, and they can if get you, have you a family, set up right. Uh, so then you know, okay, right. uh, you're making this much money. You're not going to have to pay taxes quarterly yet. Right. Uh, but come back next year and let's discuss it again, you know. So you don't have to see that accountant all the time, but they get you set up and started. And and so that, I did that. That was under the auspices of Video Tarot LLC. And I did that till around 1995. And then I formed B2G Consulting LLC. And that was based on the fact that I was getting requests from government contractors uh, to help them do business with the Intel community. And so I started uh, that consulting business that did training, that did uh, consulting, uh, but mostly it was training and consulting, but it was all about what you had to know and what you had to do to be able to do business with the intelligence community. And the reason everybody wanted to do that, it wasn't that the contracts were bigger. I mean, I I, I worked on contracts that were anywhere from 50 to uh, $1,050,000,000 contracts for companies like Oracle and Microsoft and Sybase, et cetera. But the nice thing about the intelligence community is there was a lot of sole source, meaning you didn't have to compete. Mm. They would put it out and they would say, this is going to be sole source and we want this person to do it or this uh, this uh, company to do it. But the big problem with doing the Intel, the Intel community is it means you have the first thing you have to do is find people on your staff that have clearances. Right. And the easiest way to do that is to hire away from those agencies. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and it's okay to do that. You can hire them away to be on your project teams mm. uh, if you want. And what happens is you find some guy that's been working for the government for five or six years, has a certain salary, and you offer him a job that basically triples his salary immediately. So, I see we have a comment from Brian. Uh, let's see. Brian says, hi, Toby and Shelly. I've been self-employed for 29 years. And that's, a, you know, another great thing is if you're going to go into business for yourself, uh, there are so many people out there who can help you and are willing to help you. Uh, but first, try those volunteer organizations like SCORE and SBA um, because they are set up for that. And um, you can always go to your brother-in-law or your friend and and say, you know, uh, what, what, what should I do? Who do you recommend? And you know, and they can help you as well to, uh, you know, to connect with the right people. For instance, uh, I know in the film industry, there was one or two agencies in the state that mm -hmm. handled, uh, you know, insurance for film projects. Right. And outside of that, you know, and people didn't know who that was unless they asked around. Right. So that's always helpful. I see some, so, Jim said something about. Uh, he said something. he's going to send us pictures of his trip. He's also a photographer. <laughs> yep. a pilot, photographer. Yeah. All right. So, so that's kind of my story. Mm -hmm. And I've never stopped. I've never been employed. I have long-term, I've been long-term contracts with organizations, both government and uh, pu public and private. So we heard about your, the, the people who helped you. And we heard that you got the con a contract the first week you were, um, on your own, but what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in that transition? Uh, the, the, the challenges were, um, 
funny because I should have been prepared for that. My father was a business owner. His brothers were business owners. You know, my grandfather on my mother's side was a business owner. My mother was a business owner, except the period after uh, uh, she just didn't want to be in the business and went to work as a teacher, you know, mm -hmm. went back to her, her teaching roots. Um, so uh, it was funny that uh, my expectation was that I was always going to be employed. I really thought I was going to be a long-term employee of the federal government. Uh, and then I was going to rise from a, you know, a GS 15 level intelligence analyst to a director or whatever that was, that was the plan. Mm -hmm. So when this opportunity popped up, the first reaction was I have to explain this not only to myself, I mean, I could justify it to myself, but by this time I had a family, mm -hmm. right? And uh, they had, they had already, they had certain expectations that what they got here was a guy who was uh, consistent. He was going to leave home in the morning. He was going to come back in the afternoon. He was going to coach soccer. He was going to be around for soccer tournaments on weekends, soccer games on weekends. And he was going to bring home a check on the 1st and the 15th of every month. And so when you go back and you say, uh, first of all, the schedule, there is no schedule. I don't know when I'm going to be gone. It's dependent on the next contract or where I'm going. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing is the money is not regular. You'll have a contract that may pay you uh, based on uh, getting to certain milestones. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, it's not going to be the first and 15th of every month. Right. And then there's the government contracting process, which is rigorous. It's a rigorous process. There's a lot of paperwork involved. And back then it was paperwork. It mm -hmm. wasn't you could, anything you could do online. It's changed ever, you know, since then. But you know, for example, there were some cases where you had to write a response, a proposal in response to an RFP, a request for proposal. And you had to go back and you, those were the competitive instances where you didn't know if you were going to win. So there was a lot of risks that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't otherwise have if you had been employed. Right. And when you're employed by the federal government, for the most part, if you can deal with a bureaucracy and you can accept the fact that they do have a purpose in life, right? A lot of people think there's no purpose for the government except to be irritating. They do. The bureaucracy, <laughs> you know, the people that I worked with were great people and, uh, and I loved working with them. Uh, but there is that consistency if you stay, right. uh, if you stay there you, you, and you're good you will, your income will grow at a regular pace and it's a fair income mm -hmm. and you will be promoted into the management, the GSS level. Um, and eventually you'll, you'll retire as a director with a very good retirement income. And you don't have to spend 30 years. You can, you could do it in 20 years for a part, but if you spend 30 years, it's basically 100% of your salary. So it has all these consistently defined benefits. And when you, when you're married to someone and you're raising children who have expectations of going to college, uh, that's, that sounds pretty good. You know, I'm going to be all, I'm always right. going to be employed. I'm always going to have healthcare. Yeah. I'm always going to have, uh, 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 it's not 30 days of leave, but 15 days, 15, six, sick days and 15 vacation days a year. So it was all very predictable. And I mm -hmm. think families for the most part prefer the predictability. Sure. You know, that makes their lives a lot easier. And they prefer the idea that he's going to leave kind of uh, by the time we're getting up and he's going to be back by the time we're finished finishing our homework. And then mm -hmm. we can have dinner and do whatever, you know, he'll make him back in time for soccer practice. And, um, and so that, that 
once you make a decision to go out on your own, especially when you have a family, uh, the predictability quotient goes up. And because the predictability quotient goes up, the stress quotient goes up. And so stresses that you didn't imagine in terms of your family life, uh, you didn't expect and, and would not have in, experienced, encountered. If you had stayed in the, you know, with the government, those all pop up. And so it makes everything a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard enough raising a family. It's hard enough being married. It's hard enough raising a family when, when situations are predictable. Once the situation on your side, since you're the primary breadwinner, you know, yeah. uh, uh, when you start uh, uh, inserting unpredictability into that familial um, uh, relationship, set of relationships, that makes it difficult. It creates stress on them that they didn't expect. You know. Now, fortunately, I, I was fortunate enough not to have. There was. It wasn't uh, uh, good times and then bad times. There were good times and then it would slow down. But there was enough money in the bank that they would notice. One of the things I learned was put it all in the bank. Don't go out and buy a car the minute you yeah. you, you you know. Just put it in the bank because you're going to get a month or two before the next engagement or, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And by, so uh, the first 15 years, 1980 to 1995, then when I came back from Bosnia, I felt like I got to do something else. I can't keep going to these places where people are shooting at you. And, um, and so that's when I formed the consulting company. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those where I was asked on, a, you know, a, a friend who worked for a uh, a government contractor, a large government contractor called me and he said, could you just come in, teach our salespeople how to do this? And uh, they paid me, of course, and they paid mm -hmm. me literally what I asked. Like I made up a number to see if, you yeah. know, if I could make a number so high, they would say, oh, no, I didn't. Because I did. I did. That wasn't my business. I didn't, you know. Right. But if they name a high number, then they can always negotiate with you. You got to start was, high, though. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was. There was no negotiation. There was no. It was like, oh, okay. And, and that's and that's basically what happened. Yeah. And to this day, whenever I, I haven't seen him in years, but when we see each other, and he'll the first thing he'll say is, "You really got us on that uh, contact first contract that you you he, re he remembers that." Yeah. Uh, but it was three really pleasurable days for me. I really enjoyed the teaching. I really enjoyed the person in the room who knew all this stuff, you know, and who could answer all their questions and who could kind of set expectations like, no, it's not like other government contracting. It's nothing mm -hmm. at all. Because if you don't have the people with clearances, they're not going to hire you anyway. Right. And they'll make it a requirement. Right. You know, you have to have X number of people with this level of uh, clearance. Otherwise, we're not going to hire you. So it was just fun being in that room for three days. And I thought, well, geez, why don't I try this a couple more times? So I, you know, at uh, networking events, I, I have a little three over brochure and if there was somebody that indicated an interest oh you work for uh, you're a government contractor the intel oh yeah he says how do you do that uh, here's my brochure <laughs> and so that led to not only to teaching gigs but consulting gigs where they'd bring you in they'd, they'd win a contract or you'd be you'd be part of the proposal team mm -hmm. where you just help them write the proposal in response to this activity uh to this rfp and uh, so that kind of the, that moved me away from the traveling and uh, I was home more. Right. And I think sometimes the kids didn't actually enjoy it. Like they were glad that's going to be gone for two months, you know? Mm. Um, but that stabilized not only the income, but the travel. Mm -hmm. And then it was a couple of projects I did. I went back to uh, Iraq in 2003 
2004, and then Afghanistan in 2008-2009. But uh, it enabled me to stabilize a little bit. And so, but the other thing that you have to learn with a, with a, if you work for a private, someone in the private or public sector, there you're working on social things like social security, 401ks, those kinds of things. So you're, uh, you're working towards your retirement. When you're an independent contractor, when you're you know, self-employed, you have to figure out how your uh, retirement is going to work out. You mm-hmm. have to start saving for it and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, preparing for that independent of the fact because you don't ever see social security and you don't, there's not an option for you. Yep. So, so, uh, it's good to point out that you were letting go of that security, but at the same time, we should also point out that that security is an illusion. Uh, yes, a government job is pretty, pretty secure, Mm -hmm. But when the government shuts down, which it has, mm-hmm. you you're off you with no money coming in, right. and then you realize it wasn't as secure as you thought it was. Right. No job is. So that's the. You could go in to, to uh, you know and to work one day in any any industry, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's uh, you know making. Uh, uh, um, Landline telephones, hey, we don't make those anymore. Uh, telephone books, hey, we don't make those anymore. You know, these things, uh, newspapers, uh, those are becoming very scarce as well. These things phase out, and that security that you thought you had, what you find out was just an illusion. Mm-hmm. So although uh, it's right in your face, you know going into becoming an entrepreneur or business owner, I don't have security. At the same time, you do know you're in charge of everything, right? You're the one who's responsible for whether or not money's coming in or not, right? Well, there's that. Plus, you're also respons- responsible where for where you invest your intellectual energy, right? One of the things about being employed in a company or a government entity, private or public practice where you are an employee, is you're pretty much limited in terms of your uh, intellectual uh, mobility, right? If you're, and the only example I have is an intelligence analyst. So if you're an intelligence analyst, there's a way to climb up, but you're going to be in that field. So if you want to learn about uh, how to write uh, C++ code, that's not in your, you have to do that on your own, but Mm -hmm. because you're so busy between work and family, you don't get that opportunity. One of the nice things about being employed is not only do you have time to invest your intellectual energy in other pursuits, learning other things, but you almost have to. You have to learn other things so you can add to your skill set in order to make different offerings available to your prospective clients. So the more time you, you should never spend more time in what I'll call intellectual research than you do in marketing and selling, right? So your production has to equal your consumption. Exactly. So you want to be at a point where you're making enough in marketing and selling and then producing income that you could spend some of that time in other res- in other areas, investigating, learning, et cetera. And that's why I have such a strong... Although the intelligence community had a very strong, uh, a, a good foundation, required a good foundation in computer technology, 
uh, it didn't require as much as I know about computers. But because I was so interested in them and I, I really felt like, well, this is every, it's going to drive everything. You better know how these things work and what they can do and where they're going. Um, and then the same is true for uh, audio and video. Uh, I don't want to call it technology, but uh, the audio and video field. Um, it was required on a lot of my early projects, on a lot of later projects for that matter. So I had to keep up with that. And uh, it had nothing to do with intelligence collection, either open source or otherwise. Uh, so you had to know about these things. And that's, mm -hmm. you become you become not only a uh, jack of all trades, but then eventually uh, also a master of all those trades. Mm -hmm. So that provides all these different opportunities as the world is changing, mm -hmm. as you have, you know, the big world-changing events like 9-11, which changed the way we do business, yeah. like the pandemic, which changed the way we do business. Mm -hmm. You have all these tools available to you, like us stepping into a studio as a result of the effect of the pandemic on communication, on personal, interpersonal communications, wasn't a big deal for us. We just right. did it. Right. That you know? technology existed. We just, more people had to adopt it. Right. Quickly. Right. And it was an easy transition for us, like, oh, let's just do this. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a, I, I don't remember us going like, should we go this way? Should we start doing it? We just said, no, we're, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. so it was an easy, easy transition. For so us. thinking about the past year, how has being an entrepreneur helped you to shift into a new business? So there, there is a characteristic of entrepreneurs of people who think of themselves and who other pe people think of as entrepreneurs. And that is uh, the seriality of the entrepreneur, yeah. right? Serial entrepreneur. entrepreneurs, sure. right? They just can't stop Once it. Once they've one. learned how to do successful business, they keep on doing it again and again. So it, it's not what you're right. That, that is correct. But it's once they, once they, the, the characteristic that is most, uh, valuable to them is the foresight necessary to make an immediate determination of whether that's a direction they want to go or not. The fact that it becomes a business it, that, and, they, and they have that kind of experience is less relevant to them than the, the risk analysis necessary to say, I can do that, right? I can become quote, an encore entrepreneur, I, it's not anything that I'm uncomfortable with. While other people might look at that and say, that's too risky. I'm, I, I, I can't imagine doing that. I'm afraid of being in front of a camera or I don't know how to build a technology or I don't know what YouTube live is. I don't or, want to put the money into or it I don't I want, might lose it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, think about how excuse. we did, uh, think about how we did streaming New Mexico. Yeah. That was literally based on somebody saying, could you stream this one event for us. We bought a little 500 box. And the next thing we know, we're in a business that's generating money for everybody. And uh, we're meeting lots of people and getting lots of requests for business. And it made, uh, I still to this day, I said, I made a $10,000 investment in that big black box yeah. that uh, we used. What would be interesting to, to do that today, it wouldn't be a $10,000 investment. It would probably be about half that. I if think not we'd less. still have all the same issues with connectivity. Oh yeah, well, was you'd still, <laughs> and, and that was the big, that was the most oh, unpredictable part of that. And that was, um, and that was the fact that these events are held at locations 
that were not designed. Uh, although you could, if you went to San Francisco or say Austin or or Washington, where the hotels have understood that this technology is necessary for because of the distance learning, it may have changed as a result of of the pandemic. But back then, they, oh, they still need to shore up the infrastructure. Oh the man, internet. But uh, but it was good and it was easy and we made money and we had fun and um, and then I decided to retire again. Well, what so, are some of the skills that you? Uh, have have used over the years as an entrepreneur that make it easy for you and quick, easy decision to, uh, okay, I need to pivot or here's a business idea or I like this, that's great and, and I'm going to go for it and then you, uh, you go off in another direction. So, so it's a couple, it's, it's, I don't know if it's skills as much as it is the, uh, maybe it is a skill. So one skill is the ability to see the potential. Like, where is this going to go? Based on what I know about where the world is right now and where it's going to be in five years, three years, is this worth uh, making the investment? So that's the first thing. The, the ability to, to – and it has nothing to do with risk, right? Mm -hmm. you, as a matter of fact, if you start doing risk analysis, you're, you're not going to make a great entrepreneur because the risk is always against you. Mm -hmm. Right. Any it's true for any business, but you say based on what I know, what I've done, what I've accomplished, and what where I see us going, this is a wondrous, wonderful opportunity. This is a really interesting. You, you've heard me use the word. If, if I use the word interesting, then we're moving off in a funny little direction here. Right. It's an interesting opportunity. That's the first thing. The second thing is the willingness to make the investment. And there's two kinds of investment you have to make. One is time, and the other is money. I'm time and your money. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have any sense that you can't afford either one of them, then don't, you know, you have to be willing to make that investment because anytime you make the decision. So the first part is making the decision. I don't know. There's some ridiculous uh, statistic about, you know, only 10% of all entrepreneurial opportunities have any chance of success. I mean, it's a very low number, but they don't stop. You know, 100% of these guys, even at, at a 10% uh, success rate, will go on to the next one. Uh, and so so part of it is the confidence. Uh, and maybe it goes back to uh, so vision, uh, willing, willingness to invest time and money, and the confidence just to keep doing it until you get it right. Because every time you launch one of these entrepreneur, entrepreneurial uh, race cars, uh, whether it wins or loses, you learn something. You learn something about it and it refines it. I mean, the, the reason they call them serial entrepreneurs is because they can come up with a business idea a day based on whatever they screwed up yesterday, right? They'll look at it and they say, oh, well, that was, boy, I sure made a mistake there. That didn't have, well, let's do it this way this time. And uh, so that comes to go. So, so th those three plus the, um, the personality that doesn't, uh, and I'm sure as a life coach, you'd know the name for this. They don't, uh, they don't get beat up. They don't beat themselves up. They don't, they don't. They're not attached to the outcome. It, They're not it, attached it, it, emotionally to everything. It, emotionally. I, I guess that's the connection, right? Mm -hmm. If it is a failure, yeah, it's a failure. Look, we, I screwed that up. What's, what else can I do? Well, they're not going to sit and mope around for a week while they figure out, you know, 
They, mm-hmm. I, I spent the money, I spent the time. It didn't work out. The way I planned. The way I planned. What's next is their attitude. Is that attitude of like, like what's next? What do I right. do next? Where, where, where do I want to go next? So don't give up. I, I don't, it, it's something I want to say this, you know, I've heard the term stick to itiveness. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's that it's the it's resilience, the resilience, the agility and resilience necessary to go like, I'm just going to not let that affect me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to the next thing. And because their mind is in constant motion, there's a certain amount of youthfulness associated with that. You know, they don't, they never, their mind isn't, you know, constantly moving. I, I get a sense that one of the characteristics of entrepreneurs is that you you're, you you go to sleep late at night, mm-hmm. eventually, uh, because you're afraid you're going to miss some idea or thought that's going to come literally as a result of watching a TV commercial or something. You you really want, you're constantly consuming ideas and uh, what was it? It wasn't Freud, it was uh, Jung synchronicity that the, there's a bunch of little tiny ideas rolling around your head. Mm-hmm. And then one day they all clump up and they become a big idea with lots of potential. That's that synchronicity that he mm-hmm. described. Mm-hmm. And that happens to, a, I think it, I know it happens to me mm-hmm. and um, you may not, it, it, you know, you're just absorbing all these different inputs from a variety of sources. They go in the back of your head. You don't think about them much. And then one day somebody says something and you go like, Oh, and then it all comes together like, oh, I get that. Boom. Let's make an investment. Let's put the time and money into this and see where it goes. Yep. All right. So speaking of vision, what is your vision for the coming year? And how do you think uh, we will make that happen? So let's talk about, before I do that, I want to talk about the last year. Okay. Okay. So there we were. We had a very successful YouTube <laughs> there channel. We there we were. Very successful Picture this. YouTube channel focused on the Forest Fen treasure, mm-hmm. moving along very happily, mm-hmm. um, earning income, regular income from it. We were splitting a check at the on the 20th of every month that we got from YouTube. Um, we were doing well. We had a gro- good and growing audience. Um, we had some moments there where we tried different things and we realized that's just not what our audience wants to do. Uh, and then on June 6th last year, uh, somebody found that it was announced that the treasure was found. So we had a couple of options at that point. One was to continue milking it for as much as we could. And that would have been kind of, we could have done that. Uh, I couldn't. I was bored. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the other <laughs> was problem. I think, I think it takes two to tango. And, and you and I have been partners for as long as we have. And part of the partnership requires that we, you know, at least have the conversation. Uh, and we did have the conversation the night that it was announced. Yep. And um, and by the next day, uh, the two between the two of us, we made the decision. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And I thought what we did to move on was spectacular in the sense that we wrote a book. Yep. And and pub- wrote and published a book in less than ninety days, that still sells well, hit a treasure worth fifteen thousand dollars, and kind of did our own thing. And I think part of that was the, the reason that period was so successful between June and whenever the treasure was found, October, November. Ours? Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. October, early October. Yeah. Was it was still, we were still attached to the Fen. Late September. Thing. Early October. We were still attached to the Forest Fen treasure and that, and that topic. And I don't think, 
I, I think it was okay. And it certainly drove what we wanted to do in terms of the sales of the book, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a point at which we both realized we've got to get away from this whole treasure hunt thing. Mm-hmm. It's not going to last forever. It can't last forever. It won't last forever. We've got to start doing something else. So we did a lot of tests. We started looking at the things that we were having fun with and the things that we liked doing and the things that we were learning about doing and where the potential was. And I think that's when, uh, as we had our conversations and we realized we want to make money teaching other people how to make money who happen to be in our age group, because you're the one, I remember having a conversation with you and you were, you were on a, we were on a phone call. And you were going on about how underserved us senior citizens were. And I just shut up and I put you on speaker. And I think you went on for 15 minutes about how terribly underserved. <laughs> I doubt it went on that long. <laughs> it, felt, it felt like 15 minutes. It felt like 15 minutes because you were pretty adamant about this. And you had some sense about what you wanted to do, but I could tell the reason you were throwing this at uh, in my direction was you wanted to take advantage of the things that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. My, if I can get Toby in on this train ride, then <laughs> then he can apply his skills, knowledge, and expertise. I can take the things that I'm learning because you you're you probably know more. Uh, about digital marketing than I do at this point. And it was the combination of you with the impetus, right? Uh, that was moving me forward into the next thing. And the advantage that we have in that case is that, okay, I'm okay with that. I mean, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not saying, oh, I don't want to, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. Uh, I'll just say, yeah, let's do it. And so here we are and we're putting things in place to start producing income again. Well, and I, you know, a lot of times the, uh, when you take this training on what kind of business should I start, they always say to you, uh, well, what do people come to you for advice about? Mm -hmm. And this starting a YouTube channel or a podcast or both or live streaming, all all those things. All of that was we, people have been coming to us for years for that. Yeah. Cause we know how to do it. It's just like a no-brainer. Let's How many do YouTube that. channels do, have we done? Like twenty. <laughs> we spawn. We spawn the channels, but they're fun. In each case, we learned. I mean, we're getting to the point where we know exactly, literally, we can tell anybody, especially an encore entrepreneur, uh, someone who's already made one career and would like to make a second career in just selling uh, effectively their expertise. Their product is them. Well, honestly, in this day and age, post-pandemic. Um, the evolution of online communications in the past year. And and the reason I mention that is because in the past year, as of the past year and a half, as a result of the pandemic, there was this, um, there was this tremendous advancement, this jump in uh, the technologies that enabled uh, distance communications, right? It's not just the cell phone. Uh, and it's going, it's going to change again, you know, uh, uh, Google, uh, Facebook um, are all, and there was one other company. Spotify? Uh, uh, no. Um, Amazon are all now promoting the connection to your television that enables you. And, oh. and you know, if you go, I'm going to bet that if you go to buy a TV in the next three months, uh, one of the options on those TVs will be an, um, I was going to say inbred, in embedded camera. So it's, yeah, basically like a large 
It's a large laptop. Cell phone. Yeah. A large <laughs> cell phone. A large cell phone. And Giant it'll communicate via IP uh, to uh, members of your family who have a similar. Because they have it, smart TVs. They've had yeah. those for years. Yes. So, so yeah. they're one step away. Yeah. They're literally a camera of, of one chip away, a camera chip away from making that possible. Everything else is in place. Mm -hmm. Yep. And pretty soon we will, yeah, our TVs will have the equivalent of phone numbers. So if you're on, if you're at home and I want to talk to you and Kevin, I will dial your TV and uh, we will have a little conversation. Yeah. It was funny because, you know, you can use your tablet to do a, a what, what's called Google Duo on my right. uh, Samsung or, you, you know, if you have an iPad, you can mm -hmm. do FaceTime. Um, and then it's just on a little bit larger scale. Right. Um, That's all it is. That's basically all it is. And, and it's the ease of communicating because now with, you know, my TV, the, the one that's in here has an IP address. And the reason I know it has an IP address is because I can Chromecast to it. The right. only way I could Chromecast to it is if it had an IP address. Mm -hmm. Well, once I have an IP address, I can get that IP address using any um, internet service that uh, identifies an IP address. Well, if I translate that IP address to a nine-digit phone number or whatever it is, a uh, 10-digit phone number, three, six, 10, yeah, 10-digit phone number that represents that IP address, which is effectively what you, when you're using uh, wireless communications you're doing. Um, then uh, that means we can communicate as if it's a cell phone. Yep. So I predict that will be, I predict, uh, I'll say by the end of the year, by the end of the year, we'll see that technology available to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my Google Hub. Yeah. Uh, it's got the screen on it. Mm -hmm. Well, you can just say, you know, show me a video on uh, how to cook eggplant. Okay, here's a video, you know. Cool. Uh, but also, my daughter called me on Google Duo Hub. last week, mm -hmm. and it came across on the Google Hub. On the Google. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, I haven't even thought of that before. Mm. Well, and that's, that's cool. That's where we're at. Yeah, it's just, and, and, and it's just going to be easier and easier <sighs> for people to access that. Do we say hi to Brian? Hi, Brian. Uh, Brian Gates. Brian we Gates. said Brian to Ulrich, Jim in Ohio. Uh, Eleanor Blass is in the room. She's visiting. Thanks for uh, visiting, Eleanor. Nice to see you yeah. again. So that last question again was, what is your vision for the coming year and how will you make it happen? And I changed that to how will we make it happen because I'm here too. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, my vision for the coming year is that more and more people in our age group who have already had one career will, because they don't want to stop, it's hard for any of us. Can't the, stop, won't stop. The the boomers, the Gen Xers, the Gen, you know, they just can't stop. Um, and shouldn't. And shouldn't if you can still do it, right? I, I, think, um, I think one of the benefits of the past 50 years is that we each acquired an expertise in something, whether it is blacksmithing or, in my case, audiovisual communications technology and and one of the ways you can use that in three ways as far as i can tell one way is you can sell the equivalent of your expertise best example is 
Peter Leifer, 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 who spent his entire life as a financial advisor. Now he's retiring and he wants to keep making a little money. Although if he's a good financial advisor, his retirement is planned. Right? Yeah. It's not about making money. It's right. more for him about uh, staying, you know, keeping his staying, finger in the pie. And, right. Right. And, uh, and, and looking at areas that he wasn't able to uh, work in, in right. the past. Right. And, and so uh, he's the only thing that he's working on is his expertise and the technology as a result, again, of the pandemic and how we expanded that technology so quickly. Um, he's able to use that to a certain extent, but because he isn't completely familiar with it, he would like some help in making it look good and sound good and all those things. And of course, we can help in that. Another example is Dr. Brown. Uh, he had a great time making those 37 or 38 episodes of COVID conversations with us and walked away from that when we said, eh, kind of, it's coming, you know, people are getting their shots, the, everything's turning down, we don't have to have this conversation anymore. And within, I think it was like a week, he called us and said, I have an idea that I like to, and that's not about money. Right. Right. He's retired. He has a retirement keeps income. He's fine. The pie. But he, he keeps his finger in the pond. And he likes having those conversations yeah, with those it's people. educational for him. And he's all about the education. Right. And he wants to share that with the rest of the world. Right. He, he wants people to know that there is a, I mean, did we know anything about, quote, the microbiome? I just learned so much because yeah. he interviewed one person about microbiome. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand what that was before during and after the exactly. whole event. And so I ended up reading a couple books on it and just, and then sharing all that information with you and, and, and imagine, changing my diet. And, and that's, <laughs> that's all coffee wants. That's Co just that's, from one conversation. You're the, you're the perfect example of what coffee wants that you, somebody has, he has a conversation with a guy that has a, and I'm not saying life changing in the sense that you're, you know, you, you, you're, you're doing a complete 180 but life-changing in the sense that you learned more about how your body works and you're making some changes that are going to help you live long and prosper. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's exactly what coffee wanted in those situations. Yeah. And you, we can think of, uh, you know, another example is DJ, uh, our friend DJ Hekas, who had a completely uh, physical-based business, had a storefront, had products in the storefront, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and come and pandemic events, and events. events live events that people came to, all of that went away. Mm -hmm. And what she's made is the transition into making that completely uh, digital mm -hmm. and and distance. It, it deals with distance now. Right. And Online changed events. her business, mm -hmm. found a you know, smaller location because she doesn't have to keep all those products uh, in one place. So uh, we see a lot of people in our age group making those uh, making A, the decisions necessary to move on, and B, then implementing those decisions so that they can move on and do other things. And I think that's, uh, so we have a very specialized area of expertise. We know how to do that. Uh, more importantly, we know how to leverage uh, what you're creating because for us, a live stream, doing a live stream like we're doing tonight is the act of creating content. So the question is, how can I take this content that we're going to be talking here for about an hour, maybe a little bit more, how can I take this content and leverage it into other things? And that's the other thing that we're expert at, how you can take experts in, how you can take one piece of content and leverage it into, uh, how do you refer to it? 
A social media storm social, of content. Social media storm of content. I like when she says that. So, um, I so, just want to say hi to Huli. Good to have you here. Hi, Huli. Um, so, uh, I, I guess where we want to go is to be able to, uh, it is, we have an opportunity right now to take all the things that we've learned over the past, however long we've been working together, eight years. Yeah, about eight. And turn it into a service that helps people like us yeah. reach their dreams. Because coffee's dream is, you know, uh, leaving this legacy of information, of medical mm -hmm. information behind. Mm -hmm. And Peter's dream is continuing to grow and change the financial services or, uh, you know, fa financial advisory uh, business. And, and to teach, and uh, to teach young people how to well, that's the other thing. either save for retirement or those who have a lot of money to learn about being a philanthropist and what that means and why should they do it and why they should do it. So everybody has kind of this dream. I don't think we've talked to anybody. I don't think we've talked to, I don't think we've spoken to anyone who doesn't have, who I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to mess up this sentence who has a dream that we know is possible because of what, what we know. Right. We haven't heard anybody say to us, tell us their dream, their vision. And we've had to say, I don't think that's possible. We haven't had to do that. No. Because the simple fact of the matter is everything that they need for them to accomplish that is available. Right. They just, they're, they're not quite certain. They may be uncomfortable with it. But the simple fact of the matter is we haven't had to say to anyone uh, I'm sorry. That's out of the that's out of the range of possibilities. We always have, have the ability to say, "Oh, yeah, okay, we can do that." <laughs> it's kind of cool to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. So, awesome, awesome. What? Where are we going to awesome go? Sense. You tell me. I'm just following your lead on this. Where we're going to go? Yeah. What are we? Uh, there's so many things coming so fast, <sighs> and uh, it's sometimes really hard to keep up with all of it. Um, and I think especially for those of us, you know, and who didn't grow up with certain things, we didn't grow up with cell phones, we didn't grow up with computers, we didn't grow up with it, using it, we had to learn it as it came out. And we're still having to do that. We still have to constantly keep up, right? We had to join Clubhouse and learn what that was. Now Spotify is going to be doing it. Facebook. Facebook's going to be doing it. Twitter's going to be doing live Sorry. streaming. It's just like, oh, have you heard this yet? Have you heard this every day? another email comes that tells you something else that's happening or coming your mm -hmm. way or what changes YouTube is making or Facebook is making or, you know, what LinkedIn is doing this now. It's like constant change, constant change. So how do you get into the flow of that constant change and take advantage of those? That's where the resilience and agility comes in. Uh, the willingness to accept that, the, that these changes are going to take place and how you incorporate them. Uh, into your plans, because social audio, you know, uh, although it may have started with Clubhouse, we've had some of the big boys, including Spotify and Facebook, say, uh, yeah, or and Mark Cuban is it that has right, right. Uh, Fireside? Fireside. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's at least four uh, entrepreneurial style and ventures. A way to bring social audio to and podcasting together. Together, yeah. Yeah. That's what Spotify is doing, right? Yeah, Podbean was doing it too. 
So, so they're all aware <laughs> that this social audio thing has some kind of potential. Right. I don't think, I don't think any, you know, the, the simple fact of the matter we're, is we're until going you back can, to the party line here, right? Uh, the simple fact of the matter is until you can figure out a way to monetize it, uh, you, they're not going to make money, but they're what, what it is. And I don't think anybody's figured out how to monetize it yet. But Other when than you have to find clients on there, no. Well, even then, you're. It's not like you're. You know, if you're not paying for it, you're the, you're the product. product. But if you look at them now, uh, Spotify, Clubhouse, Spotify, Facebook. Um, uh, there was one other. Fireside. Uh, Fireside. Podbean. Uh, they're not making money at it, right? There's no immediate return on this investment, but what their people are telling them, the people who inside those, each of those companies that have that kind of vision, they're saying, we got to do this boss. Why? And, and if the answer is because everybody else is, that's not enough of an answer. Right. The answer has to be because in three years, it's going to be this kind of generating this kind of online activity and people are going to be doing it. And suddenly we can start marketing or, 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 uh, you know, advertising mm -hmm. to them. Right. So when you have, you know, Spotify I mean, has TikTok. People are, you know, businesses are like, oh, why aren't we on TikTok? Yeah. Yeah. Spotify, if I've watched Spotify's growth and the decisions they make, the acquisition of Anchor, for example, that was a financial, that wasn't a social media growth decision. That was a financial decision because Anchor had the model where they, they said, yeah, you can sure. put your podcast on here for free. Well, that's but no different than when, uh, uh, PetSmart bought Chewy because Chewy was already doing mail, uh, mail service of pet items. Right. Uh, so instead of creating their own why wheel, not just acquire why it? not just buy their wheel right. and <laughs> yeah. use it? So, uh, so uh, one, of, one of the nice things about waking up every morning is um, I'll have at least one and sometimes as many four emails from Shelly going, did you see what happened last night? You know, the things that are changing for right. us. Every once in a while, well, I get to do you one. You sent one to me today. Yeah. You? Yeah. And it but, but it's because of the things that are changing and we're watching these things and thinking about it. We're, we're going, how do we incorporate the quote social audio unquote into what we're doing? Well, for us, if you have content and you can incorporate. So one of the things when we found out about clubhouse, not only did we join, but within two weeks, we were live streaming to Clubhouse. Nobody else was doing it at the time, uh, but we were live streaming to Clubhouse. We we were we we figured out how to do that and do it credibly. And so one day, other people are going to be using that technology to do the same thing. So, yep, all kinds life, of stuff coming. Life has changed. So, uh, this was an awesome little talk we had tonight. We also like to talk to people other than ourselves. So if you are interested in being on messages and methods and talking about your business, uh, your entrepreneurial journey, your uh, legacy live stream ideas, uh, whatever it is that you have to present, please go to um, journey, uh, our guests journey and Go through this little simple, quick process, journey.messagesandmethods.com, and uh, join us in, on a live stream conversation on a Wednesday night, and uh, we'd love to learn more about you. Tell us about your journey. Tell us about what you're doing uh, to... Uh, It'll be the same kind of conversation we had tonight. Yeah. yeah. You get we, to answer all those good questions. We want to hear what you're doing. All you have to do is listen to Shelly. 
for about 10 minutes total. Yeah, and she like explains everything to you. And what else do we have for the fine people tonight? Why don't you give them a free book? Ah, if you are interested in being a podcast star, if you want to have your own podcast or you want to be a guest on podcasts so that you can promote your business, your book, your speaking, uh, whatever it is that you want to showcase, um, here's a great ebook for you how to get booked on podcasts and be a great guest which is a great starting place if you want to have your own podcast first be a guest see if you like it and uh, you can get this at podcaststar01.agkmedia.studio and uh, pretty good pretty good book written by experts look at that written by experts <laughs> We also have an amazing Facebook group that we would love for you to join if you are 50 and over and you are interested in having your own live stream or live streaming to your Facebook group or uh, maybe you want to do webinars or maybe you want to create uh, video content for whatever reason and uh, you want to do that. We can show you how to do that uh, if you want to be uh, an encore entrepreneur, we can work with you on that as well. This group is for you, and we have great resources in the group. We also do our live streams straight into the group. Uh, as you can see, there's last night's live stream where I got my new shirt on, AGK Media Studio. Mm -hmm. shirt. Nice, yeah. like nice shirt. Yeah, I was making faces at YouTube. So, uh, please do. Join that if that is of interest, facebook.com slash groups slash leveraging your content. We have a lot of fun in there. Oh, and look, this is our store. If you want to set up your own home studio to run your own live streams in the most professional way possible, we have a great kit in here. We have several great kits, in fact, but I'm um, focused this week on the home studio kit. And uh, these are things that we've used. We have used uh, everything except for the pop-up green screen. And I just put that in there because it was on sale yesterday. It's not on sale today. Mm -mm, no, it's not Prime Day. It's gone back up on price. But um, everything else is really good uh, quality merchandise that we've used. We recommend. Tested, tested by tested experts. Tested and approved. Uh, so if you want to go to our Amazon store, you can see that amazon.com slash shop slash kiss. And we do make a very small commission. If you purchase using our uh, put together kit and it doesn't cost you any extra. Pretty cool. Yeah. And we do our best to find the best priced, uh, highest quality merchandise. And, and most useful. Thank you for listening to Livestream Coaching with Shelley Carney and Toby Yunus. Please subscribe, leave a great review, and comment with questions or ideas for future shows. Share our podcast with your family and friends and discover how you can become a creative campaign producer at agkmedia.studio or join our Facebook group, Leveraging Your Content.